0: Good morning, family. My name is Susie. Would you please stand with me for the reading of the word? I'm going to be reading out of Luke 19, verses 28 to 48. So if you get tired, just lean on your neighbor. <laughs> All right. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass that when he near, drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called it, that he sent two of disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosening the colt? And he said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had, they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered them and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, Surround you and close you in on every side, and level you, and not and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave you in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went to the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for today and for this word, and I ask that you um, equip Pastor Raphael with the words that you would have him to speak and enable our hearts and minds to receive that. In your name I pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Susie. Give it up for Susie, guys. You know, Susie is is training in the way of preaching. So she wanted to know what it's like to get up here three times on a Sunday before she gets up there and shares the word with you one of these days. So that's why she's doing that today. And she walked out. All right. Awesome. All right, first and foremost, we want to welcome you and thank you for coming today, guys, but also want you to know that Victoria and I are 100% behind Pastor Jason and Carissa Carter. We love those guys, and we're excited to see what God is going to do. Amen. Also, I want to thank the man. You guys showed up Friday ready for community, ready to dialogue, ready to, to dream about what God wants to do in and through us to reach the men in our city. So thank you so much for coming. Ladies, can you give them a hand for coming? There you go. Thank you guys. So I appreciate it. We had a fantastic time. So in this story, we, we find Jesus. There's, there's a couple of different things going on here. First, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he tells two of his disciples to go ahead of him into the town ahead of them to go and find a donkey. And he says to them, you will find it. And when you find it, it's a donkey that no one has sat on. Nobody has written this animal and you have to untie it. And as you untie it, if anyone asks you why are you doing this, then you say the Lord has need of him. And now this is very interesting because Jesus is speaking here prophetically. This is something that has not happened. It is in the future. But what's even more interesting is the fact that the disciples cannot only hear Jesus and trust what He's saying; they have to do it. They have to obey. So it's not enough just to hear the words of Jesus and say, "Oh, Jesus, we believe that that will happen." No, this oh, the, the more the more important point here is that we must obey, right? Because what if Jesus would have prophetically speaking say, OK, you will find his donkey and I have a need for it. And you say, oh, Jesus, we believe. And just sit. They have to obey what he said. So then they go into this town and it happened exactly as Jesus said. Can you say this? It happened exactly as he said. As I was preparing for this message. Um, And I believe this, this could be for someone in here. Um, The word spoke those exact same words to my heart. To say to you. So some of you need to hear this. It will happen exactly as God promised. I want you to know that. Okay. Doesn't matter how. Huge the storm gets. Doesn't matter how difficult things get. God is saying to you today, March 3rd, 2019, it will happen exactly as I said it would. Okay, so trust in that. So it is interesting to me because Jesus sent them forward to find a donkey. And I was thinking, why a donkey, right? Kings ride horses. They ride chariots. But why a donkey? That's kind of a weird, odd mode of transportation, isn't it? But it is there's a particular reason why he did this, and the fact that he mentioned and said, "Go and find a colt, a donkey, that no one has sat on," is important. You know why? Because in that culture, a donkey, an animal that no one has sat on, nobody has ridden this animal, meant that that animal was suitable, pure, for a king. So the fact that he's saying, go and find this donkey that no one has sat on. He's saying, I need an animal that is suitable for a king to ride on. And that's not an understanding that we have. But the disciples surely knew this. And then furthermore, there are two reasons why Jesus is choosing a donkey here. The first reason is to fulfill that which was written by the prophets. Jesus was coming As a fulfillment, Jesus was doing everything to fulfill what the prophets had already spoken. Look at Luke chapter 18, verse 31. Jesus said this just a few verses before what we just read today. He said to the 12, he says, taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man or himself by the prophets will be accomplished. Jesus is saying everything that was said about the Messiah. Everything that the prophets wrote about will come to pass. And he's taking a step here in that direction. Or another step in that direction. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Israel. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a follower of a donkey. This is exactly the reason why Jesus chose the donkey. And at this point, when Jesus is making his, his entrance into the city and they see him riding on a donkey, they think of this and then they start proclaiming, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, right? They're recognizing him as king. What's interesting is that they missed the second part. The second reason why he was riding on the donkey. So they acknowledge him as king. But they missed the fact that he was riding on a donkey because he was a king bringing about peace and not war. See. In in the ancient Middle East, it was known that when kings were riding into war, they rode horses. But when a king was coming in peace, he rode a donkey. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And we find that in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33. We find that in Judges chapter 5, chapter 10, chapter 12, and 2 Samuel chapter 16. There are many examples of kings riding in donkeys in time of peace. But the donkey really fits the description of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, when it says, righteous and having salvation, he was coming as a gentle king. Listen to what it says furthermore in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10. Just the following verse, it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Look at all of the details, the symbolic details of peace within this verse. First is take away the chariots and take away the war horses. See, there's not going to be a need for vehicles of war. Then the battle bow shall be cut off. That means that there's no need for weapons of warfare. Then he shall speak peace to the nations. This king is going to be declaring peace. This king is going to be about reconciliation. Then his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. His dominion, his dominion would expand and stretch and cover all of the earth. So Jesus fulfills the prophecy in Zechariah. But not only that, he fulfills a different prophecy. There was a song that the angel sung in Luke chapter 2. And we went through this seems like years ago, right? So in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the angel says, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill to all men. This was a king that was being announced. That was being born to bring peace. So as I said earlier, the crowd looks at, at what's happening. And in verse 38, they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But it's interesting to me that just a few chapters later, if you fast forward the book, they're going to be screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I call this the mob mentality. One moment, everybody's saying, oh, he's king. And here we go. Oh, he's king. The next moment. He doesn't look like we thought he had to look like. He's not doing what we thought he's going to be, he should be doing. So then we want him dead. It's like, isn't, isn't that the case in human emotion? With human feelings? One day you feel in one way about one thing. And the following day you feel a different way about the same thing. Has that ever happened to you? I'm glad I'm not the only one. It's happened to me. I'm like, I don't know. I feel that way about that no more. Mm-mm. I want to let you know this. It's a little nugget that God told me for me. And I'm going to tell you. So it hurts you too. <laughs> acknowledge your feelings, but don't be ruled by them. It's okay to acknowledge how you feel, but don't allow feelings to dictate what you do or don't do. That's exactly what Dr. Delhi was saying. And I don't know if you said it in this service or last service or the first one. But hey. Doesn't have to be. I don't have to like it. I don't have to agree with it. It's all about what God is saying and what God is doing. And that was exactly what was happening here. God was doing something and they perceived one thing. But missed the fact that they had the king of peace. Coming. It was right in front of them. Listen to Matthew's account of this same exact entrance into Jerusalem. Look at Matthew chapter 1, beginning on verse 8. It says, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him and followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. There's two significant things that this, the crowds were doing here. And Luke mentions the whole cloak. They were putting their clothes out in front of him. And this was normally done for a king. And we see an example of this in, uh, In the book of Kings, the second Kings chapter nine, when uh, the prophet Elijah goes and talks to a younger prophet and is training him. Right. And he says, you need to go to Yehu and Yehu. You need to let him know that he is going to be the next king of Israel and anoint him king. But then right after you do that, then you need to run for your life. (laughs) So if you want to move on prophecy, good luck. Uh, I, I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting, but, but he, he does that. And this young prophet says, okay, I go. And then he had to tell him, okay, I need to talk to you in private. And he tells him, God has anointed you as King of Israel. He anointed him and then he just runs for this life. And then jehu's friends are looking at him and say, Hey, what happened in there? He said, I don't know. He's just crazy. This crazy guy. He's just anointed me and say, I'm the King of Israel. And then he said, they, Oh, ha, Yehu, King of Israel. And they threw his cloaks, their cloaks in front of him. It was just a sign of, hey, we are taking off our garments before you, preparing the way. And so they did this for Jesus here. But something even more significant was the whole cutting of the branches. Okay. The branches that are being talked about here are date palms branches. And they were, a, they were symbolic of a national hope of Israel. It symbolized that. And furthermore, it says that they were so abundant in Israel and they were one of the staple products of the economy. So their economy, this is one of the products that the economy hinged upon. Also, they palms were portrayed on coins stamped by the rebels against Rome. So as they are laying down these branches before Jesus, they're saying, oh, our hope is in you. But our hope is in this. I hope that we will have great economic well-being, that we will prosper economically, and also that you will help us overthrow the Roman Empire. That we may rebel against their tyranny. It is funny that this is... Sometimes what happens with us, we expect one thing out of Jesus, but yet he seemed to be doing something different and we don't understand it. And that's why I think at least for me, that phrase of being palms up and completely surrender is so important because I have to know that I don't have to understand it all because I know he does. And all I get to do is surrender myself to him. Amen. So we get back to chapter 19 in Luke and in verse 39 something happens. As this is all going on and everybody's singing praises to Jesus and they're throwing, you know, cloaks and and palm tree palm, palm branches in front of him, then the Pharisees in verse 39 says say teacher, rebuke your disciples. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that the religious are always, they always got an issue with Jesus. And these guys are saying, rebuke them. Because you're no Messiah. You're no king. You're not the savior. You're not the promised one. You guys see how they address them teacher. Say, you're just a teacher. Rebuke them because, make them shut up. But what Jesus says right after that is so important and so crucial. Verse 40, Jesus says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. The stones will immediately cry out. See, this is so significant. Why? Because for Israel, for the Jews, stones were very, very significant. We see a story in Genesis chapter 31 and even in, in, in some chapters before that, there's something else that happens. But I wanted to give you the picture of what happened in Genesis 31 pertaining to stones. And we have Jacob. So Jacob. Had gone and worked for years. For his father-in-law Laban. And God has prospered him. And God had made that this his Animals multiplied and he was being blessed. And but now Laban was jealous and he was a little bit ticked off that God was so faithful to Jacob. And so Jacob realized this and talked to his wives and his children and, and said, we're all leaving and we're going to do this in secret. So he went forth and left Laban, which when Laban found out. He grabbed some men and said, come on, let's go. We're going to go after him. But right before, the night before, he came in contact with Jacob again. God God sent an angel and said, do not bother him. Leave him alone. How many of you know that when God says that, you just leave the man alone? (laughs) Bad idea if you keep going. But then we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 31, beginning in verse 44. And this is Laban now talking to Jacob. He says, come now, let us make a covenant. You and I and let it and, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to the to his kinsmen, gather stones and they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Yegar Sabanutha, Sahanut Butha, But Jacob called it Galeab. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galiab. So Galeab is means heap of witness. Heap of witness. What's happening here? We see ex- other examples in Joshua chapter four, verse eight, where the Israelites will grab stones. Got right. And they will make like a to commemorate something that God had done. It's a memorial, it's an altar unto the Lord. And and then they, you know, when the the tribes were established and you had the 12th tribe of Israel, they were piled up 12 stones representing the 12 tribes. And so that was very, very significant to the Israelites. So why is this important to point out? Because when Jesus is talking about, if they don't say anything about who I am, these stones will cry out. Let's look at how when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, where he was coming from. Let's show that picture. So what you guys see is Jesus is making his way towards that temple mount. So he's going towards the temple, towards Jerusalem. We see the city gate right there. But he is by this cemetery. So this cemetery, you can see there's tons of graves, right? Why is this important? Because, see, the Jews... Use pebbles on top of their stones. So they don't use flowers. They don't use flowers on top of the tombs. They use pebbles. They use rocks. And place them as a memorial. To say their memory lives on. Right? This is to say we remember. So when Jesus is looking. And we see a little bit more of a close up here. A little blurry. But you get the idea. They could take it down, because then you're not going to listen to me. Keep looking at it. I don't know how you guys operate. (laughs) So when Jesus says, these stones will cry out, he means these stones. The Galead. That means the stones that are witnesses. These faithful servants of God that that have passed away, that have been buried there, because that's close to the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane. All the good stuff is right there. And they believe that when Messiah comes, they're going to be raised to life. And right there, the closer you are, baby, the quicker you get up. So these are faithful ones. And in that picture, you can actually see a couple of Jews in the midst of that that picture. So right there, Jesus is saying, these stone of the faithful believers of the past. These stones will cry out. So even if you silence the living, the dead will cry out. Isn't that awesome? So it's crazy because then, for lack of time, I'm not going to go into the whole passage. But then in Matthew chapter 27, after Jesus died, there's a few things that Matthew records that happened when Jesus offered up his, his spirit to, to God. And it was the, the ripping of the veil, right? The earth shook and then the tombs came open. And those who believe in God came out of their tombs and started making their way to onto Jerusalem to testify. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that sounds like some zombie apocalypse kind of movie. That's amazing and kind of crazy. But listen, something even more amazing than that happens. You know why? But because of that sacrifice of Jesus, there's no longer a need for a temple for sacrifices. There's no longer a need for stones to be the witnesses of God's glory, of God's power, of God's love. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It says, you also, as living stones, are being built up as spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Now, guess what? We are the living stones. You and I are the living stones that get to commemorate God's goodness, God's faithfulness. And guess what? We are the stones. That means that we are the witnesses. You know what witnesses do? They testify. You are a witness. I am a witness. And now what do we do? We testify to the goodness of God. We testify to the power of God. We testify by his faithfulness. As we move through the text in verses 41 through 44, then Jesus draws closer to Jerusalem and he weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps over Jerusalem because he's seen prophetically what will happen to the city. He knows what will happen. He says your enemies will encamp around you and they will level you with your children within you. They will not leave a stone upon a stone. You will be destroyed Oh, if you only knew the peace that I have come to bring. But he knew that rejection was coming. And he said this phrase in verse 44, because you do not know the time of your visitation. I pray that we will not miss those opportunities. When God is visiting you in a personal way. What Jesus spoke of here happened in the great siege of 70 AD, where Jerusalem was laid, destroyed by the Roman Empire, where the historian Josephus says that about 1.1 million Jews were slain. More than 900,000 of them were carried into captivity. So imagine the pain that Jesus feels. As he's seen all of this that will happen to his people. The anguish of knowing. What was about to come because they were going to reject the son of my, the son of God. And cause judgment to fall upon them. And something else happens after Jesus Weeps over Jerusalem. Then he goes into the temple. And Jesus then goes off. I've never seen Jesus flip out. And he did here. But don't think that, that gives you any. Uh, any um, what's the word I'm looking for? License. That's a good word. <laughs> this doesn't give you any license to flip out. There was a very specific reason why Jesus displayed this holy anger here. This place, the temple, was supposed to be where God's presence dwelled, Where people can come and offer sacrifices to God. For there to be forgiveness of sin, or at least covering of sin. In relationship with God. But what happened was that since there were needs, it's just like everything. When there is a need, the men, us, we choose to exploit that need. And then it gets corrupted. So see, there was a need when you went into the temple, right? Because the temple currency was a, uh, I think it's Tyrian shekels and they were required. So if you came with your own money, with your native money, you need to exchange it, right? That needed to happen as well as if you were traveling from far off and you were coming to offer sacrifice, you're not going to bring a whole bunch of bulls and goats and stuff. It's not practical. So you need to bring money in order you exchange it and then you purchase some of those animals that are pure and that are unblemished and then you offer sacrifices to God, right? But the point is that now this became a business. We're making a whole bunch of profit and there's a whole bunch of corruption in the house of God. Jesus said this, he says... It is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you made it into a den of thieves. He's quoting directly the great message, the sermon from Jeremiah chapter 7, when the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord send him right into the temple. And he said exactly those words. And he says, has this house, which, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? And this word thieves here in the Greek, when Jesus quoted and in Hebrew, when Jeremiah speaking it, could be translated as rebels. A den of rebels. You know what Jesus is saying here? Has my house now become a hiding place for those who rebel against God? See, God is not interested in our outward appearance, in our cleanliness on the outside, in going through the motions and pretending. That we're bringing sacrifices to God because that's what was happening here. But the destruction of the temple needed to happen. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because you and I are now the modern day temple. After Jesus' sacrifice, there needed to be a temple that was not built with human hands. In closing, let me read to you what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Come on. You are that temple. I am that temple. You understand that the co-creator... Of the universe. Dwells inside of you. That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 8.11. Lives inside of you. You are the dwelling place of the spirit of God. If you have trusted in Christ. And he is your savior. And your Lord. The spirit of God. Has come to dwell inside of you. You are a temple of God. And we walk in that. Amen? Please stand. Two very simple points that I want you to help me pray into. That I want you to pray for yourself, for your family, for your friends. Number one is. We are the living stones. We are that galleap. We are that heap of witness and witnesses need to testify. We're also the temple of Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray over you and I want you to be praying as well, whether you need help as a living stone that testifies of his goodness, of his faithfulness, of his love and of his power, just as those pebbles on top of those tombs were testifying of the memories of those that had gone. To be with the Lord, may the world see Jesus when they look at us. God, I pray that you will help us help us Lord to Lord to realize that we are living stones, and stones do not move themselves. <laughs> Moved them. God, I pray that as living stones you may move us and we allow you to move us, God. I pray, Lord, that we may be a heap of witness. God, that we may testify of who you are to a dying generation. God, I pray for everyone under the sound of my boy, voice who may realize that we are living stones. God, help us to know that we are the temple. Temple of the Holy Spirit. That the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that the spirit of the living God dwells inside of us. God, help us to honor you as we honor and respect our bodies. This temple, God. Lord, why would you choose such a feeble, delicate, and dirty temple? God, I pray for a cleansing of these temples, God. Right now, I sense this of the Lord, if you want to lift up your hand, I had to do this myself, so I'm not ashamed. If you need a turning over of the tables in your temple, if you need a cleansing from Jesus, lift up your hands right now. God, I pray that you will cleanse this temple. Cleanse this temple, God. I don't want to offer empty worship. I don't want to offer sacrifice that cost me nothing. I don't want to offer, God, just an outward appearance, Lord. I want to offer you my life. God, I pray that you will cleanse this temple. That this temple will bring you glory. That this temple will be able to testify of your goodness, of your love, and your power, God. Listen, don't seek to harm the temple of God. You must protect it, you must take care of it. He values you more than you can imagine. All of the suffering that he went through, all of the how he was ridiculed, it was for you. It was for you. And if you don't have any idea. What I'm talking about. Good. If you have no idea. What it is that I just shared. Good. All you need to say is Jesus. I give you my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. ready to receive you with open arms you just need to run to him god i thank you for your people i pray blessings upon them i pray god that this will not just be a message i pray god that you bring them revelation through dreams and vision that your spirit will speak to them give them ears to hear what your spirit is saying god thank you thank you so much for your infinite love for us god love you and praise you in jesus name you oh know god's people say.